Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of Hearty Dice Friends. My name's Grant Howitt. And I'm Chris Taylor. And together we will answer your role-playing game questions, whether you want us to or not. Do you ever regret that intro? Some days, because no, mo- most of the time people actually do want us to answer them. But but it's kind of, uh, it's kind of ooh, rough and tumble. Like We're not really accepted. We're the maverick bad kids of RPG answering our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we don't play by the rules, but my God, we get half a job done. Yeah, pretty much a full quarter. Uh, I'd like I'd like to extend a thank you to all of our patrons uh, at the start of the episode this week because we we recorded live last week, as you may have heard, or like you may have partially heard, given the quality of the recording. And uh, thanks to our patrons being at Nine Worlds, we had actually 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 had people turn up, which is really nice. We had we, we had quite the room. Yeah, it was lovely. Um, certainly more than I was expecting. I was I was expecting there to be about as many people as there were people recording. Yeah, but we got more, and it was nice to record it with live laughter feedback, so I could tell which one, which of my jokes tanked and which ones didn't. <laughs> um, but also, it was just lovely to meet people and see people and sort of hold court and get inadvisable drunk with a load of nerds. Yeah, with yeah. a load of other nerds. I want to stress that we're all nerds. It's here. a nice convention, Nine Worlds. It, it's pretty. It's, it's friendly. Yeah, I like it. Like, yeah. not a lot happens, but that's not why you go. <laughs> no. I think it is the single worst experience for networking I've ever had, but the single best experience for for saying, yeah, I'm Grant motherfucking Howitt. Which you do love to do. I do love that. I was considering getting my middle name changed. (laughs) I can see that working for you, actually. Well, I I don't don't even have a middle name, so I think that's less paperwork. You have lots of surnames. Yeah, I have four surnames. Just hogging them all. If you can guess them, reader, uh, you can win a prize. Which is one of my surnames. <laughs> Give them away like candy. You can just have it. I don't want it anymore. You did have 26, but many people have guessed. Oh, it's, it's, it's like Rumpelstiltskin, but I just give you one of my names. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's have no further ado and get right on with it. Let's get back into it, because I'm feeling a little bit rusty. It feels like it's been ages since we've recorded one of these. It does reality. rather. It's only been two weeks. Yeah, well, we're not because we can't count the, the live one, which was... not. Not really, no. That felt more improvised. It did. Even though it's an entirely improvised show. <laughs> um, so what I'd like to do is, is, is to get me all limbered up. I'd like you to um, do the podcast equivalent of rubbing some deep heat into my muscles, which is to give me a Reddit lightning round. You like a Reddit lightning round. Okay, are you ready? Uh, I was born ready. Are you braced? That's the important one. Hang on. Yes. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. What to do with players who want to constantly change character? Let them. Trust players with playing two roles? Yes. Interest in in card-based drafting RPG? No. Advice for Vietnam War campaign? No. Advice on what PNPC to kill off? The best-looking one. Oh, harsh. Mm. Looking for a game with a less structured class system? No. Magic users or magic items? (laughs) Both. What RPG class can you classify yourself in real life? Bard. Can anyone point me to the, in, this, in the direction of some pre-made characters for Pugmire? No. Well, actually, you know what? Probably someone can, yeah. Somebody can, yeah. Yeah. What's your favourite non-core D&D class? Retromancer. What's that from? I just made it up. Oh, that's cheating. But you, but you retroactively have items that you need. RPGs for large groups. What system to choose? Um, Goblin Quest. Short RPG. What's a short RPG? 
That was the next oh, sorry, question. that was just the question. Right. Um, um, Rysus. Oh, bold. Just so, so I don't endorse all my own games all the time. How do you explain tabletop RPGs to newbies? I actually... So I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop the lightning round review. I had to explain what RPGs were to a researcher from the one show a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and she just would not understand, bless her heart. Like, like, she, like She was keen to understand. But she seemed to think it was somewhat. It was like a cross between chess and Mario. Oh, it's not. Which that. It ki- well, it kind of is in a way, but not in any way that she was. Chris right for. and tap jump. Yeah, it was. It was a problem. Like I, I, I possibly may well be on the one show in twenty nineteen. Who knows? <laughs> twenty nineteen. They booked that far in advance. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah. <laughs> apparently, have you ever like, seen the one show? Um, no, I know what it is. But it's really not my... I'm not the target audience of the one show. No, it is very saccharine. It's very gentle, from what I can remember. Yeah. It's sort of like like news, but through a cushion. Yeah, muffled. Yeah. It's taken all the corners off. <laughs> Rose-tinted television. Yeah. It's, I remember uh, th- there was a clip they had David Cameron on, and the interviewer said, Oh, and finally, Mr. Cameron, how do you sleep at night? And that was great. And that was like the brief flash... Of, um, of rebellion on the yeah. show, but it doesn't seem very interesting. I think it's just something which the BBC have to put on by law, otherwise they'll be shut down. Yeah, they have to provide variety shows still. Well, it's a bit like the way that the, 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 they have to release a Spider-Man movie, otherwise Marvel get the rights, or what have you. Because Sony have the rights, I think. Yeah. So they have to keep putting out Spider-Man films, and so the BBC have to keep putting out... Ju- like, daytime TV! I feel bad for daytime TV! Couldn't we just not broadcast anything? Right? It just seems such a waste of time and money. Listen, I just... I mean, it can't be expensive to film another show about people going around auctions and trying to make money, which is a terrible idea, which is almost why almost why no one does it. Or I the current presume. one, which is, cook something and I'll judge it. You see, Come Dine With Me was good. That was alright, because it had kind of, like... It had, it had, it had like, cook something and I'll judge it, but then it had people bad-mouthing each other in taxis. Yeah, it's just like, oh, this is lovely, Sharon. Ah, I hate her. Ah, I want her killer. You see, the reason why I like to come down with me is it didn't have the elimination aspect of every other reality TV show. Yeah. So every other reality TV show, you had to be cruel to the other people. And in this one, you voted privately, and then at the end, they totaled up the, 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 the points and said who won. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't like, oh, I didn't like your, uh, your beast, so I'm going to push you off a bridge. Whereas now, all cooking shows have the extended pause. I, um, I, I think we should maybe bring in a bit like lens flare in video games. We should bring in, we should bring in a regulation to ban the extended pause from TV. Right. It just, it, I never enjoy it. I'm never like, oh, who's it going to be? It's like I would, I would like to fast forward through it. Yeah, I mean that's the time I check my phone. Yeah, for sure. You know, even if I'm really enjoying the show, it's like, oh, extended pause. Yeah. Oh, two new emails. I'll get those in a moment. You know, you know what I oh, the TV show I used to really love. I'm, I'm like, we'll talk about role playing games in a sec. Listen, but this is actually worth looking up because it's all on YouTube. There was this uh, Dutch TV show called The Mole, mm-hmm. and it was adapted for a uh, Channel Five. Actually, picked it up and adapted it. It'll be about ten, fifteen years ago now. Uh, and the the idea was that it was a, it was a reality TV show. So they got all these all, all people from different walks of life, um, and took them off to, I think it was Guernsey or somewhere and then they had they had, they had to do a series of challenges and for every challenge they passed um, the prize at the end of the week got uh, sorry the prize at the end of the show got bigger okay. okay 
More money. It wasn't like a larger car. <laughs> it was just, it was... Well, this is just unfeasible for roads. This is just an increasingly large caravan. And the, the, the twist was that one of the members of the crew was a mole. Right. And so, like, they were selected by the by the producers to throw off every single challenge they went into without being discovered. But the mechanic for voting people off, it wasn't on, like, who do you like best, who do you like least. It was who knew the least about who the mole was. So they'd have, they'd have a series of questions at the end and then go in, and then eventually they worked it down to three people, one of whom was the mole, and they're still doing challenges. But it was it was really really interesting because you spent the entire thing watching like he was actually trying and of course like like they can cut it and shoot it and film it however they want so you can't really guess who the fucking mole is yeah but like for example uh, they had one challenge was they had to walk across a tightrope uh, and keep their heart rate under a certain uh, value right yeah. and then and, if, and for, for everyone whose heart rate went over the certain value they got um, they got they got money taken off the, the end goal and the mole that morning gave everyone really strong coffee. <laughs> Amazing, and I love that. I love that. That's that sort of gentle, um, non-obvious PvP yes. that sabotage that really interests me. And so, like, I think it's on its thirteenth season in, in 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 Holland now. And so, like, the last one I watched, they were in um, Hong Kong or China or somewhere, and they were running around trying to achieve things and like take part in a no play, <laughs> um, which I think was that Japanese shit. That's Japanese, no, I think. Uh, well, Actually, I don't know. I, I feel bad now that I don't know. Might, I think I mean, it, might, it must have been somewhere in Japan. But yeah, fascinating show, and um, you should definitely look it up and watch it if you if, if you feel like... If you can bother reading through a lot of subtitles, because it is, I stress, in Dutch. Yes, that is. Which, makes, a third the, which makes them all even harder to read. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, should we talk about some role-playing games, Christopher? We, we should. We should. Would you like me to get into the first question for you? Mm, I'd love that. The first question is, D12, best dice? No. Well, I think you've just hurt the D12's feelings there, honestly. Uh, why Why do you love the D12 so much? I, I don't. That's I not like my how, question. I like how... Who asked that question, by the way? That, that was Will from our Discord. Mm. I like how round the D12 is. It, it, it rolls like a ball. It seems like a jolly old sort. Yes, yeah, like the, 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 the tumble-down owner of the local um, bar or tavern. <laughs> Maybe getting a little bit fuzzy around the middle, but still a good egg. Yeah, basically good. Slightly bloodshot nose. Yes, for sure. That 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 sort of that big drinker nose. Yeah. You seen John Nettles recently? No, I have not. Oh, what a big drinky nose he's got! Oh, he's got a drinky nose. Oh, amazing. Oh, he's like he's like Rudolph, but drunk. <laughs> I like John Nettles because it's like because it's like watching my dad solve crimes. So. <laughs> he's like he's like kind of everyone's dad in a way. Yeah. Well, not like your not like your dad. No. My dad's Terry Wogan. Terry Wogan was like everyone's dad. Yes, Terry Wogan was literally everyone's father. I think I I miss Terry Wogan in a way that I didn't miss any other celebrity who died in 2016. Yeah, I was far more hard hit by by old uh, Wogan than I was by Bowie, for example. When Attenborough goes, no, David Attenborough won't die. You see, he will simply become lost in the jungle. I see. Because David Attenborough is a high-level druid. He is. Have you not seen the you not seen the TV shows? Like he'll be walking, he'll be like in a coat and those sort of khaki trousers, and he'll be walking through his back garden in London and saying, and saying "Oh, look at these lovely robins, and also some worms." And now, and the and the camera will just sort of pan left, and it'll be in fucking I don't know Uruguay. Yeah. Look, 
looking at a bird of paradise, and that that is because I, I simply there are there are cameras set up near birds all around the world, and David Attenborough teleports between trees, and also he gets like dangerously close to these animals, yeah, without them giving any kind of a shit, because he's of them. <laughs> And I think I think people. that he will he will turn into either a bear or the beast. And by the beast, I mean the sort of the uh, predator. Yep. And mm, actually, no, a predator and prey combined, and he will simply leave. And <laughs> pr- like I imagine, like in in like he's probably got about five years left on him. Really, I imagine at some point in the five in the next five years, the rainforest will suddenly be re-energized, <laughs> and that will be him. He will become the rainforest. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep my eye on rainforest news. God, I hope so. Wouldn't that be lovely? But oh, also, it'd be him fucking over all those th- all, all those animals just for television reviews. <laughs> he helps the animals. Well, no, because if if when well, he, he dies, the rainforest comes back. Mm. It means his being alive has been killing thousands of animals for a very long time. I think. Well. He... <laughs> He knows what the animals did. <laughs> he can talk to them. He is judge, jury, and executioner. I I think that the D12 is a fine dice. I just don't care for it. I can't wrap my head around the randomness of it. D10s I can grasp. D6s are second nature. D4s are too small and they hurt. You, you can't pick them up. Just, no, you can't. Can you? And they don't roll properly. No. They just They're land. slippery. If you grease a D4, that's staying where it is forever. Yep. It might as well be glued down. I guess I guess you could sort of pick it up with a spoon. It's not worth it. No, um, the the D twelve is fine. It's just it's the it's I don't care for it. You know, and there's no decent games use it. No, I mean it's it's your barbarians hit dice and axe weapon and and axe damage. Yeah, I guess, but you should be using a greatsword, right? It's got better. Yeah, two D six rather than D twelve. D twelve. Where are you going? Less swingy. I just mm, I just. Maybe it's time we write a game involving D12s. But, like, front and centre D12. You roll 2D12 and add modifiers. And you it's just, get over it's just like rolling 4D6, but with a slightly different spread. It's, it's swinging it, you know? Yeah. And then, okay, well, how about we, how about we write a game about that nice publican from before? <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to make there is beer pong. Yeah, but well, when you throw a D12. Yeah, and it doesn't bounce. Uh, I have a different question for you. Ask your question. What techniques from board games do you think can or should be used in developing RPG systems? Asks Dave Chan. That is, that is such a hard question. Have you played a board game ever? I don't think I have. I have. I've played a couple of board games, like things like, especially things like Arkham Horror, mm. which you should definitely not translate into RPG. No. Because it's too complicated as it is, and I don't want to spend any time putting out that many tokens before I play an RPG. I read someone writing, uh, I forget, if someone's status updates on that, but they, but they were saying they wanted to write fiction based on the Cthulhu, based on Cthulhu, through the lens of Arkham Horror. Okay. Because it's compl- It's not even Pulp Cthulhu, it's completely different. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're going to spend all week running around town, poking around for clues, and I'm going to enchant some dynamite and jam it in Yogsoth's fucking mouth. Yep. You, you, you stay in that location because your character means that the, no, no portals can open there. So one one character just sits there and does nothing. It's it's a, it's a too long game. So like whatever the opposite of Arkham Horror is. Yeah. Um, concept is a lovely RPG. It's a lovely uh, board game I was playing on the weekend. 
Yeah. And I think that the flexibility of concept is something which we, which we should look into um, into bringing into role play systems because the the the, the most interesting um, stories in role playing come from the emergence of tales. And so, like when you combine a a a setting element with a mechanical element, with a kind of mechanical try again. When you combine a setting element with a mechanical element, and those and those two things sing in an interesting way. So, a player ability and a truth you've established. And you know, oh, I hadn't thought about those two going together. What an interesting story that's going to tell. And the great thing about um, concept is it's so woolly. It's so loose, and the the aim of the game is just it's incredibly slow paced, tense charades. <laughs> the idea is that you have you have a load of images on a board, and you put down markers on these images to try and communicate a concept. Okay. Um, and so, what was so we, we we were trying to uh, communicate? Leave someone speechless. And it took a very long. So so like we had um, like doing action foot the opposite of in. <laughs> Um, doing action the opposite of wind coming out of a mouth words <laughs> and person one and we, and so like like you have to put this down and you just basically gesture at the board until they get it. It's, it's like Pictionary where you just start pointing. Yeah, pretty much. You, you yeah, never there's really, a, there's you a lot never of those really narrative games, isn't there? Yeah, I think because they're quite easy to write. You know, like quite Mysterium and Dixit. Yeah, and I think that 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 like that sort of broad interpretation, it's 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 going to jam up against the quite rulesy interpretations we have of role playing games arising out of D anD D, for example, where like you can tell to the foot what your spell does and how much damage it does, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and I think you can get a lot more fun from having well, this happens. But there is there are some things that board games do better, even in a narrative environment, like resource management, mm. because you've got physical representations of what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, if you're playing something like Dominion or Citadels mm. and stuff like that, where you've got a resource, mm. then that that really works. And I think actually some of the some of the stuff could be translated well into RPGs. Mm. Because See, it's one of the things that the RPGs don't handle very well. No, and it, it can be interesting. I think you've hit upon a larger point here, which is well, like the reason why I got into role playing games is that the actual mechanics, the play of the thing, doesn't have to be fun in and of itself. No, it simply needs to tell a story. Yeah. And like sitting down and playing World of Darkness without any story attached is dull as shit. Playing most role-playing games without any story attached to dollar shit, and the reason is because they're story machines. But board games are good ones, certainly are intrinsically fun to play. Yeah, and I could see. Um, I think the challenge is creating a, a set of mechanics which are intrinsically fun to play, but also having that married with a storytelling system. Yeah, because I mean, you want that almost that thing of telling me about your character, telling me about a, a, that game that game you had. Mm. Like you just did with with concept, mm. um, and trying to squeeze that out of a board game is all from the mechanics. So one of the things that board games tend to do is they tend to be one and done, as yep. opposed to multiple linked games. Instead, you look at things like Legacy, uh, so like Risk Legacy, Pandemic Legacy, which are lovely, and we're very still in the we're very much in the opening stages of those. And role player games are traditionally meant to be played for more than one session. And obviously, we have you know one shots, but the Every big role-playing game is a campaign system. 
Yeah. I think I can pretty safely say that. And so I think that we can we can learn some fun stuff from this, from Risk Legacy. Like, for example, having uh, a role-playing game where the rules change over time depending on what you do. Yeah. That would interest me. And I think certainly the like the rules do change over time because you can buy more abilities. You can you can buy, uh, purchase things with XP. You can fight bigger monsters. You go up in levels. And but but the core mechanics generally stay the same. And I'd be interested in having a game which like you start play and like okay tear up one of the five classes because that will never happen anymore. Yeah, and that could be an interesting and expensive thing to play. <laughs> Crucially, but then there are halfway house board games like Descent, Warhammer Quest, mm. the sort of RPG narrative. Yeah, Warhammer Quest was really weird one actually because Descent, from what I can tell, it's kind of complicated snakes and ladders, right? Yes, but veering wildly towards Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, whereas Warhammer Quest was a, was effectively a board game which had some really light role play elements, but like everything was mandated by dice. Yeah, which was kind of charming. I. One of my favorite things to do, well, one of my favorite things to read from old Games Workshop stuff, is old Warhammer Quest stuff, because it's it's hit that perfect um, um, crossroads of Games Workshop weirdness and roleplay creativity. All right. So like, so like they had they had a, um, uh, a you could play an ogre mercenary, um, and they had like they, they had these rules printed in the first ever Citadel journal I got, which was basically like a, it was a fanzine, right? But published by Citadel. So, like, people would send in their own rules, or if one of the designers had had, had an idea for something which couldn't get into the main, couldn't get into proper print, they'd print in this black and white, black and white um, fanzine. And they had rules for ogre mercenaries, and the ogre mercenary got a special three d six table which he rolled on whenever whenever he went within earshot of a bar. That <laughs> was lovely. It was really nice. Just 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 to have that sort of um, two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. Style. No, actually, you, you know what? Not that, not that show, but the phrase two pints of lager and a packet of crisps." Yeah, applied to fantasy. Actually, no. Tell you what, undo that. The concept of cheese and onion crisps applied to fantasy. Yeah, a, a fantasy setting in which cheese and onion crisps exist is one which I wish to, well, I wish to live in. Yeah, because do you even like you, cheese and onion? Uh, not really, but. I like the fact that they've got enough infrastructure to have things from our world there. <laughs> yeah. And what they've, what they've picked is cheese and onion crisps, please, dragons. Oh, there's dragons somewhere, yeah, but you yeah. can get little waxed bags. I'll have crisps. a Mars bar and a pack of Rothmans. <laughs> so, I mean, there are halfway houses, certainly, and I think if you look at games like um, uh, Last Night on Earth, um, which, which is a board game. And it's a competitive board game, uh, like two teams. But there's an awful lot of stories uh, that come out of the emergence of cards being played together. Like uh, the, there's a, re- a really lovely card, which is Last Night on Earth. If you have two characters of the opposite sex in the same room, the zombie characters play this card on them, and then they skip their turns because mm. they're because they're engaging in hot makeouts. And personally, I would like to relax the rule and have anyone be able to to pork anyone. That's fine, but. <laughs> But that's just that's just like that's, that's like it's a really lovely mechanic because you're the human team are trying to run around and get equipment and try and survive against the zombie horde, and the zombie horde players can go actually now you know what you two fucking <laughs> you're not going to do that, and it's it's you a really busy. lovely way of, of having that filmic thing like oh we like we should we should be looking for resources, but this might be our last night on earth. Let's kiss, and it's a really lovely story. That is pretty cool. Ask me a question. What are the differences in preparing and running campaigns versus one-shots? 
example, convention games. Mm. Convention games are a unique egg. Yes, a special biscuit. Mm. Neither of those are phrases. <laughs> no. <laughs> convention games are weird because you have to sort of... It's a performance in a way that very few other games are. You meet people who you don't know, generally, and they turn up, and you don't know what their playstyle is like, you don't know what they're into, you brief them on what the game is beforehand, and they turn up, and then you have to sort of entertain them. And often yeah. they've paid to get in, as opposed to, you've got your mates around, you're like, you fancy playing something? Yeah, oh, cool, we'll have a look at the one-shots, and we'll see what we've got, which is a very different mechanic. But how, how, how would you how would you prepare for things, Chris? I feel I've been dominating this episode. So for, for con games, I would use the old technique of think of a couple of scenes that you want to happen mm. and then essentially force them to happen <laughs> not necessarily railroading but railroading well it's a con game right you yeah like because what you're looking what you're looking at in a con game is a film yeah it's an interactive film rather than let's collaboratively build a, a, a narrative and lasting world Weren't you in a terrible con game once, which actually took place in a film? I was. What, yes, what that, that was that was in Australia. Do you want to complain about it on air, or is that something you'd rather keep keep private? <laughs> well, th- essentially, the issue is that it was very, very woolly, and the person had obviously made this lovingly crafted this adventure. Mm. What, what, what was the what was the setting? What was the deal? It was. Um, there was something, some haunted goings on in a, in a in a cinema, hmm. and we were going in and out of the of the films, oh, which is you know exciting. fairly cool. Good idea. But they they lovingly crafted all of this world and all hmm. these films, and hadn't thought ah, but there will be players in it who won't <laughs> notice the clue when they don't roll notice, and thus have to kind of guess. <laughs> So we were kind of guessing all the way through. Oh, no. Um, um, and it was one of those situations of, well, I'm going to try this. No, you can't do that. Oh, what? I'm going to try this then. Nope, can't do that either. Oh, so um, there wasn't an explanation. They, like The GM just said, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, until it got to the point of, can you please tell us what to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, what, what, what was happening was we were just going... We're just saying, uh, maybe this, no, maybe this, no, maybe this, no, maybe this, yes. Mm. Which, which, like, it's an unfortunate thing. This is something which I've talked about on the show before, but it's um, the idea of role playing with the GM or against the GM. Yeah. And if you can be stuck in that mindset that, well, I've created this puzzle, this this investigation which they must solve, um, until they guess the right thing, it won't work, and that's that's okay, I guess. Like perhaps in a campaign play when that comes up like once every once every now and again, but if that's the only interaction you've got, yeah, when you've when you've got at most a couple of hours. Hmm. Now I suppose the like the the counter argument which I've heard from a lot of players is that they quite enjoy the challenge of the game. They quite enjoy the like exploring a setting and feeling like ah, hang on a sec, I've looked at I've looked at A and B and I've worked out that C is the best plan of approach, whereas in any game I write. Uh, I, I will show them A, B, C, and D, and then literally whatever they do is probably right. Yeah. Because cause, cause they made it up. But you need that backup plan mm. for when they don't they don't grok yeah. that what they've just seen is important. Or 
they fail notice rolls if you're that sort of if you're playing that sort of game. Yeah, for sure. That's always tricky. I think I think notice rolls are a huge problem. Yeah, especially in con games. Yeah. Because in in um a, long, a longer campaign, you can reintroduce that very naturally. Yeah, 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 for sure. And that's not really a problem end of the day. You can stick yeah. it in somewhere else, give them another shot, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But in a con game, yeah. you, you're, you're very, very limited on time. I, th- I think I think as well. Like it comes down to w- one of the problems with the con game is because you don't know these people, you don't have a, you don't have a, a rapport built with them, you don't have that trust. Yeah. And so, quite commonly, if I want my players to do something, I'll just ask them. I'll say like, I'll say, oh, actually, I thought it'd be fun if we if, if we could play a game where you investigate the docks today. All right, cool, okay, we'll go poke around the docks. That's fine. And you can't say that at a con game because you don't have that trust. And then it's like, well, what if I don't want to investigate the docks? What then if- we can all leave. Yeah, like I guess you don't get to play today at that point. Um, and there is this weird dichotomy between it where you end up effectively doing doing a bad improv scene with no audience for the next four hours. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, why you look at a lot of um, published convention games hmm. and their bottle episodes. Yeah. Because then they can't wander off and go somewhere else. Yeah. Everything is inside this one house which has five rooms. I think you can apply a lot of similar scenarios to uh, horror films as you can with a good convention game. Yeah. In that you're trapped and the means of escape are within this building. Yes. And it's generally obvious, but difficult. Yes, you have two hours before you get eaten. Go. Yep. And And there is the key, but you can't get to the key. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I I always... I I rate Alien as one of the best films and horror films and sci-fi films ever released, and I really like it, because... It's all it's all there, and yeah. it's all it it remains scary. It remains tense, and the alien is so massive and so terrifying, and such a perfect creature. And like, it's not it's not like they even fight it by fighting. They 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 blast out the side of the ship and run, mm. you know. And that's and that's, that's that's like like the best we could do is run away. And I I really like that. I re- I really respect that as a as a choice. Um, and then you look at the second film when everything kind of got a bit daft. Yeah, but going back to the question. Mm, yes, yeah, there are actually some similarities between running campaigns and running one shots. Mm. In that, you, and this is going to sound very basic: beginning, middle, and end. Yes, are the three core bits that you need to plot out. Acts one, two, and three. Yeah, you need to at least have an idea of them. Mm. How you weave your way between part one, part two, part three mm. changes, but those are the th- those are the three bits that you really have to have. Mm. I think also as well, like the speed at which you transition between them matters a lot. Yeah. So, like for example, uh, I'm running a campaign of Spire at the moment, and we ju- like uh, at the end of two games, we kind of just hit the end of the first act. Right. Where like they realize they realize some bad shit is going down, and that's and that, so that's been about I think about about five maybe six hours of play in total. Yeah. And like we've been able to go forward, and, and like we've taken it at a real leisurely pace, and we've eaten some meals as well. And we've and like we've changed some things about the settings so it, it fits the group, and we've established that, and it's lots of fun. But like if we were playing through that same scenario in a in a one shot game, for example, just the the pacing, the rate at which things have to happen for it to be worthwhile playing, changes drastically. Yeah. You have to um, be able to say like like to be able to, to be able to like to, to say to the players, well, we've only got we've only got three four hours, so occasionally we're going to gloss over stuff. Occasionally, we're, like we're going to wrap things up, and that that becomes a real concern. Like the the, the external physical the external physical constraints of time become a much bigger concern on the game. Yeah, you want to be if in a three hour game with your three acts, you've got an hour per act. 
at most. And ideally, you yeah. want to try and squeeze the first act into slightly less than an hour. Honestly, you want about half an hour for the first act, half an hour for the third, and the rest is middle. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the one where players can sort of do things. Yeah, and like that first half hour is partly just them getting to know each other as people. Yeah, for sure. Um, and getting and, used to being um, at the table and... I would always, always start in media res if I had my if I had my um, druthers. It's druthers, phrase. yeah. Yes, because I love I love in media res and it really works. And like you can flash back and do the thing afterwards, but it, it's a really it's a really smart idea to say, all right, this is currently happening. This is a really exciting day for you. And what we you can like, do? What's happening now? Yeah, it, what's happening it, right it now? It pushes that sense of urgency on the players. Yeah. So they start off from a point of urgency and get used to it. Yeah, for sure. Do you have do you have five top tips? No, do you have one top tip for write, for writing a con game? Um, be brief. <laughs> be brief. Beautiful. No, I know. I know it sounds simple, but like, don't don't plot out the entirety of the thing. Mm, yeah. Make notes. Like, and need to players need to discover X scene yeah. in warehouse? Question mark. Yeah, like as long like if 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 there's a mysterious badger cult. Like, just try and mention badges as much as you can, as heavy-handedly as you can. That's fine. Yeah. And but, also, like, but like don't, players are... Sorry, Cam. No, go on, go on. But don't list out... Right, the players will start here, and then yeah, they'll yeah, move yeah. here, and if they move here, no. Because no. they're not... Straight away, they're not going to do that. And, and and if they do do that, then there's no point in them showing up. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, it's a role-playing game, not... Start, if, you want, if you want to write a story where no one has any choice, write a book. Yeah, I I keep reading role playing games and and published adventures. It's like man, this would have made a much better novel. I still wouldn't have read it, but it would make a much better story than yeah. than having the players come in here and possibly screw it up. Yeah. All right. Um, is it my turn to ask you? I think it is. Okay. So, how often do you enjoy people retelling what happened in a game? Asks Zenton. I think that this is the. Would you like to hear about my twelfth level paladin? Yes, I think so. Um, and the answer is rarely. People never ask that, though. No, people never would. give you the opto. They just talk. And I think, as, as game designers, it's kind of awkward because sometimes it's your game that yeah. I'm telling you about, especially when it's playtest feedback. Yeah. Well, I, I playtest feedback, I'm okay with. Yeah, like, no, that's, that's that's vital. Um, and like, especially seeing and like, um, like hearing people play Spire is always very interesting because. Like what they've done with the setting, where they're pushing it, what they're playing, what their characters are doing—that fascinates me. Yeah. Um, because at that point, what we've done is tell them about our twelfth-level paladin, and then they've told a story about our twelfth-level paladin back yeah, to that's us. Yeah, true. <laughs> Which is kind of fun. But for games like Honey Heist, for example, I'm sure you had an awful, an awesome time playing it. I'm sure, you had a brilliant, fun time playing it with all the exploding honey and whatnot. But I wasn't there, and I can't intuit that. It's, what, what you're doing is what, at that point what what we're doing is, is telling a story about a person who doesn't exist doing things that didn't happen yeah and so much of RPG is in the moment mm, for sure like a lot of the jokes don't land again it's why, it's why I can't listen to actual play podcasts even when like even when I'm in the moment I wasn't there I'm, I'm hearing yeah. you have this fun and like, like if it's a brilliant actual play podcast, possibly. Like, if 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 people are experienced and they know what they're doing and they're having fun, for sure. But, oof. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of all right with actual plays because you listen to the whole thing. Yeah, take, it takes too long. That's, that's that's a fair complaint. Yeah, but because you're 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 on the same wavelength the entire time. 
it's not an efficient storytelling system. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the the complete non sequiturs listing of I had this character once who did X and Y. Yeah. I get so confused. If nothing else, you know I'm, what? I'm sorry. Are we talking about a person or a not person? You know what? I'm I'm maybe I'm maybe okay with listening about something which your character did in terms of fiction. In that, me and my friends came up with this great story. Let me tell you. Let me tell you the story. Yeah. What I'm not interested in, in the slightest, is hearing about how much damage you did. No, that's 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 crucial. That makes me want to tear my ear off and feed it to a dog. Yeah. I don't need to know how many feats you managed to take at 7th level. Oh, like... There's a loud train. Mm. Um, perhaps if you did something extremely strange with the rules, or if you did something like theoretically fascinating, like those really weird D&D 3.5 builds. Yeah. That I'm interested in. But, but actually, I don't want to hear you play that. I just, I just want you to tell me that it's possible and we'll move on. Yeah, but the other side of that is... Very occasionally, you get somebody telling you about their character, yeah. and it's it's just the most wonderful story. Yeah, like they 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 ring a marvelous t- like fireside tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of it, and, and you sit there sort of wrapped, and it's like this is fantastic. <laughs> Why can't they all be like this? <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes it's like, well, then I rolled a two and a six, and you rolled a four and a two. It's like it's that rimmer. Yeah, um, bit isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's so, recounting yeah. the fact that he plays Risk. Well, it's it's like at that point you're recounting random chance favoured you. Yeah. In a fictional setting, it's not like oh I found a fiver. I, I oh actually Chris on that note I found a fiver recently. Really? You get in the woods. In the woods. <laughs> yeah, I found, and it was a new one, so it wasn't damaged. That's not what you keep in woods. <laughs> you keep porn in woods. Porn and occasionally cigarettes. I've been thinking cigarettes. Yeah. I think I think I think mm, porn. I can understand. I think you've got actual fairies living near you, mate. <laughs> actual grot fairies. Gotta hide your cigarettes in the, in the woods, or your parents will find them. Damp cigarette. Did you occasionally find like some of a bottle of cheap vodka? Yes. <laughs> you've got grot fairies. I've not got grot fairies. There's an infestation. Teenagers. We've got teenagers in a village. What What I'm guessing is grot fairies um, are. Live off teenage arousal and emotion. Yeah, and so they, um, and so I'm not entirely sure which which way it works. I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run one of these parts. I'm gonna run both both versions past you. Okay, right? hit me. One is the changeling changeling explanation. Grot fairies are fake creatures which live off teenage arousal, emotion, and excitement. They therefore place cigarettes, alcohol, and porn in woods to bring children there and farm the children for the emotion. Right. Alternatively. You leave grot, cheap vodka, and half packets of Rothmans in the woods to feed the grot fairies so your own life is better. A bit like leaving out a, a bowl of milk for the fair folk. I, I, like, I like the second example. Mm. It's less ominous. Yeah, and it fits more into the, into the village aesthetic. Mm. It would explain why when I found porn, it's never been of a named brand I've recognised. No. Because it, it's simply from the airplane of porn. <laughs> yes, it is just <laughs> filth. <laughs> no, I, 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 I like the second one. I like, I like the idea that we're that we're leaving these out to charm the the uh, the grotty spirits of the woods, so they don't come round our house. Just <laughs> find them wanking furiously with with ten browser browser tabs open, <laughs> just in the bath screeching. He's, 
these are all just films of dogs. <laughs> Sorry, screeching in the bar. Yeah. I imagine it's little as well. Can't <laughs> get out. Oh. Felt like a spider. Is it finished or is it, nope. is it just like, oh, okay. Furiously banging its junk against the side of the pedestal. <laughs> the pedestal? Off the taps. Sorry, the side of the bath. I don't, I don't have a pedestal in my bath. I'm not that posh. Smashing it off the taps. No. Oh. <laughs> there were a spider in here. He got out. How do I do it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, grot fairy. Oh, man. I think they get on well with the goblins. I think they would. I don't want to go to that spa. Mm-mm. Maybe. 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 Um, what was the question? Oh, yeah, telling people what happened to the game. Yeah, yeah. don't. Don't. Don't do it. It's or not... at least ask. Yeah, ask. Like, is it okay? Like, generally, um, if, like, if, I, if I find myself talking about something that happened in a game I ran or that I was part of, I'll say, like, listen, feel free to stop me at any point. I don't mind. I will happily change the subject because I know how boring this can be. However, let me tell you the story of Zombie Larp. <laughs> and, and like generally I only do it if the conversation is really slow you know, or, or, people, or, anyway. or people seem interested or whatever but I'll, I'll, make, I'll make that offer like listen shut me up please because otherwise I'm just going to talk about my imaginary paladin for the next half an hour yeah alright ask me a question alright ask me that really long one this, I'm, I'm going to shorten down this really long one James Washburn asks how to run fantasy road trip campaign but with specific looks at how much uh, preparation you should do and how much space mm. to leave the, for the players to determine facts and also things like supplies and logistics mm. it's so, so like the thing which uh, James is talking about is the, it's like a, a fantastical and fictionalised Silk Road-esque caravan trail so yeah. like a, I, I can totally dig this I think that the, the problem you've got is that games are about people and people tend to, people tend to stay in one place so I think that you'd have to make sure that the the NPCs on the caravan are very good. Yeah. You don't want very bad NPCs. You want to make sure they're very but like strong NPCs and like there's arguments there and you you view that part as a soap opera and then you shift the roads they're traveling into as more of a monster of the week thing. Yep. Uh, Dogs does this actually quite well. Yeah. In the in the Dogs in the Vineyard in the idea that you're moving through different towns and solving problems and there's possibly some sort of connection connect connection. Connection. connection between the evils or not perhaps the thing which really which really puzzles me though is um like supplies and logistics yeah because that seems like a crucial factor in this sort mm. of campaign but how to handle it without it just being an absolute arse i've got an idea right hit me you have a you have a list of things which are important to the caravan so um food, food arrows water yep Water, petrol, uh, or like lantern oil, whatever you know. Yeah. Consumables, um, or like information as to where they need to go. Maps, you know, especially like if they're if if they're if they're if they're frontier people exploring this new path, then maybe the land's changing. Maybe the maybe the maps they have are accurate. And what you do is at the at the very first session again, you start in 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 media res. You don't bother with them setting off. You start when they're on their third day of travel. You roll to see what they're running out of. 
and then um, potentially you're doing things like if you've if you've had a battle, rather than saying, well, you've got thirty arrows and you've fired off fifteen and you're ten miles from the next shop. It's like, okay, well, the odds of you running out of arrows are more impo- uh, are higher now. And and when you run out of arrows, when you run out of magical components, you can't cast spells, you can't shoot arrows in that way. Um, when you run out of food, you uh, your recovery. Um, your recoveries in co- out of combat don't work as well. Yeah. When you run out of um, maps, you get lost and wind up when you run out of maps. <laughs> now I've used all these maps, mate. <laughs> well, I mean, you can even track it in reverse. Mm-hmm. So you seem to have enough of everything. Yes. And then when you when you use something, yeah, i.e. once per day is food, mm. um, etc., you, you just put a mark next to it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of every day, you roll a dice. If it gets mm. underneath it, it's dangerously low. Mm. Um, the Black Hack has a really nice mechanic for this, actually. Oh, yeah. So you have an equipment dice, and it's, uh, go- it goes from D20 to um, D4. And every time you use the equipment, you roll the dice. Maybe it goes from D12 to D4. And every time you roll the equipment, you roll the dice. And if it rolls the maximum possible value, you downgrade to the next dice. And when you downgrade from D4, it's gone. Okay. So it means that you have a rough idea of how much there is in there, but you're not counting individual arrows. So let's say I have arrows D6. That means that I can I can shoot all day if I need to, but I know that it's like, I know that at some point I'm going to roll that six, and then I'm like, oh, running a bit low on arrows here, rather than I have X arrows remaining. But and that would really, really good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's really it's really nice actually. And so the uh, the rad hack, which is where I picked it up from, which is a hack of the black hack. Um, of course. Like, actually, I, I just want to put in a recommendation as well for the Black Hack. It's a really lovely way of recreating the feel of old school D and D without having to play old school D and D. Important. So the important thing which the Black Hack does and Rad Hack is the mechanic where you roll under your strength if you want to hit someone. You roll under your dexterity if you want to sneak past someone, and so you always have this fixed number. And it's so like you still have a, a strength of eighteen if you're the biggest, strongest guy. But it just takes away all the modifiers. It takes away all the maths. Yeah, and I mean, you can take the equipment rules you mentioned earlier and yeah. just have essentially a, a playmat in the middle of the table, mm. which has got like a picture of a car- if you caravan on it. Yeah. And little boxes for food, water, yeah. arrows, and the dice set in them. Yeah. So you have like, all right, who's cooking tonight? I am. Yeah. Roll the dice. And I think as well, like linking NPCs to those resources. So, like, you've got the ranger. Uh, you, so you, you, you have you have like a ranger outrider character who's uh, who's uh, on a horse ahead of the caravan and making sure that everything's fine. And he's in charge of getting of hunting for food yeah. to make sure that people you know, should be bleed and like managing the rations and stuff. And so, rather than oh, we're out of food, like, like he comes up to you and says, "Look, we, we, we need some help. People are going hungry. We're, like, people are going to start stealing and running off the next time we get to." But because also, this story. Um, Hold that point in your head. The interesting thing about resources is when they run out. Yes, for sure. But also what you could do is take the NPC and hard link them to those dice. So that uh, if they die, it drops to the it drops to the lowest. Oh, uh, that's a nice idea. Because yeah. there's nobody to maintain the supplies. Like the food starts yeah. to spoil because it wasn't the, stored properly. There's no wizard to um to, to correctly buy the right um reagents. Yeah. So you need to either replace that NPC yeah. or make do. Yeah. 
and that's and that's kind of interesting. Um, and, and also, you've got to protect that NPC. Like you, you know, you you might you might be able to 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 go. Okay, we're going through a safe area, yeah. and, and our money's really low. We yeah. don't need to hire somebody who can protect the caravan because we can do it yeah. ourselves. This bit. Yeah, for sure. And I think like I think like having a dice on money. Yeah, works as well. Just, just this, this, like this is this is in 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 other words, disposable income, which you can which you can use to buy. Um, when you get to a to a trading post, you can buy things to to to, to bring up your other resources, or you can uh, hire guards or bribe people or whatever. And it just yeah. um, it's a it's a fairly slick system. And you can have the same thing of you can have a dice for for trade goods. I quite like to run that game, Chris. Well, sorry, I quite like to play in that game. It sounds like it'd be quite a lot of fun. It does actually, especially if you get like a nice. I think I'd set mine post apoc. Oh no, sorry, it would be set in forty k, and you're a load of orcs on a train, <laughs> <laughs> and I it's a very slow train. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd kind of like the the proper caravan trail, like through yeah. through like Arabian desert type things. Yeah, and like mountain passes. Yeah, because then you can just say, okay, because um, one of the questions was about planning. Mm. Um, I want uh, a bazaar. I want yeah. some towns I'll quickly think about now. Mm. Um, I want a bandit raid at at a certain yeah. point. So I, I actually I I did a similar thing to this in my game, uh, the Golden Sea, where you uh, it's a what is one of my wee one page RPG uh, RPGs. It's a uh, it's D twenty system, but it's got a wee box out, and it's, so we've drawn the starting area. We've drawn the starting area, which is the Maiden's Hand, which is a giant like thirty story tall hand with with, with buildings in it. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the map is blank off to the right, and for and so like the GM draws their destination, and then everyone else draws a place where they're from, a place they visited, and a place they haven't visited. Okay, that's and nice. You fill, and you fill out the map, and the idea is that you go and you you don't have to visit every place, but they exist. Yeah, and, and you can the plot idea, your route. Yeah. yeah, the idea is that you can't just go straight there and ignore everything because because like you have to sell things to to make money, and you have to you know get more supplies and stuff like that. But I think that, that turning it over to the players interests me as well. So, like saying, "You're a wizard. What magic stuff is there? You're a ranger. What sort of hunting? Well, like what sort of herds of animals are running around? That sort of thing." And, I mean, the other thing is, if, if if you're really going for this for a longer campaign, mm. I hate to use the phrase, but wandering monster tables. No, I I, I was about to recommend it. I'm about to recommend it. And I know you don't like them very much. Yeah, but what I'm saying is not just monsters on the table. No, you're writing yourself. Yeah, so you have you have. You know, a, a plain breezy day. Mm. You have interesting things. You have dangerous things. Mm. You have things that tax supplies. You, like you know, a storm comes through. I think that um, by linking it, by writing it yourself, there's there's a sensation that if 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 you just say a thing and it happens, it isn't fair. But if you write that on a table and heavily wait towards that happening and you roll it, that's fair. Yeah. So let's say, for example, um, in this part of the Silk Road, the problem are goblins and um, hawkmen. I'm imagining kind of like a, like the 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 down slope off a mountain. So you've got hawkmen in the top of the mountain and goblins on the bottom, and they're fucking fighting. The hawkmen have a sort of a um, I'm going for like a a noble isolationist race, and the goblins are you know goblins. Yeah. And so you've got the odds are that the, that the hawkmen might try and steal your stuff, or you might you might just have a result on the table where there's a hawkman watching you and um, armed to the teeth and not doing anything. 
Yeah. Or you've got like a like like a, a load of goblins have 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 stolen a bear from the woods and have dressed it up as a jester. Stolen and dra- a bear. I think I think I think anything. You know how property is theft. Yeah. That applies doubly for goblins. Okay. <laughs> They've stolen a bear and they're dressed it up as a jester and they're poking it along the road. And you're like, should we should we do something about this? Like, or should we just let them go? Should like should, should, should we make sure they don't see us? Do we want a bear? And that, and that <laughs> do we want a thing. goblin? Um, I think that I think that rather than you are ambushed and you have to have a fight on the caravan, blah, just like here's a question: What do you do? And that's that's an interesting mechanic. Yeah, uh, like you see some goblins and some hawkmen fighting. What do you do? Yeah, and how does that tie into your resources? Yeah, for sure. How does it tie into your resources? How does that paint the larger story? Um, and then, uh, crucially, like the the goal of any improv and role playing as well is to take these things and learn from them. So. Once you've rolled something, it's true. Yeah. Nothing else is true until until the players have seen it. And so at that point, if you've established your Hawkmen as warlike bastards, then that starts to spread throughout the rest of the campaign. And reusing things and reusing things and uh, building uh, building a platform you've already established makes a good game. And I think that I quite like a random table, honestly, because it makes you... It's quite refreshing for the GM. Yeah. It's just like oh, I wasn't, sure, expecting yeah. to do, I wasn't expecting to do this tonight. That's fun. Let's roll these two things. Oh, I see. Okay, it gives, cool, it gives the GM a, a different kind of challenge. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do want to play that game though. Yeah, I think we could. We could maybe write it. Maybe could. Maybe write it. I mean, this, it seems like we've got uh, yes, yeah, um, uh, tr- trademark Grant and Chris, two thousand seventeen. Um, it was our idea, not yours. James, James Washburn. Washburn. Nothing to do with them. <laughs> No, um, so yeah, that's that. There's some ideas, and I think we should maybe have one more question. Maybe, maybe a joke. One, Luke asks. Well, Luke says and then asks. My best friend hates the warlock class because of their infinite per day nature in three point five. Should casters always be limited? No, no, no. Uh, I don't think so either. No, fighters aren't limited. No, and they and they have the spell shoot arrow in face. Yeah, which is a pretty good spell. You see, I don't like the idea of limited casters. Honestly, like I, I'm okay with paying for things that that you do. If it's a, like if it changes the world, you have to expend something to do so. Mm. So, like at the core idea, the fighter's spending an arrow to yeah. do that. But I think that once you start limiting wizards, you enter that really fucking boring thing where wizards have cast all their spells for the day. Yep, and they're and just it's not plugging away with the crossbow they can't use. Yeah, it's like like they 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 are so limited in their approach, and like utility wizards, I can totally dig it because with utility wizards, you're literally changing reality. So like, um, let's say for example, uh, we can't we can't open this door. Cool, use knock, open the door. Let's go through. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to rewrite reality in these incredibly specific ways, in ways which you just can't do. So like, say we don't have a rogue. Cool, I can cover that. You know, uh, levitate for example as well, featherfall, things like that. If you're using magic missile. If you're using Burning Hands, if you're using any of these damage spells, you're just doing the same thing as everyone else. Yeah. Maybe perhaps perhaps like with bigger spikes in that way. And you enter a really boring game for the wizard, which I'm... doesn't really plug into st- it's it's Jack Vance's fault. <laughs> yeah, Vance and Magic has a lot to answer yeah. for. When the Warlock came out, there was a mm. quite the uproar mm. about it being a horribly overpowered class. Yeah. And I still maintain to this day that the Warlock was not overpowered, everything else was underpowered. It was a fascinating discussion to see, because I, I agree with you in that. Like I felt Warlocks got it right. Mm. 
that I understood what it was about. It's like, so I, so I can always do Eldritch Blast as much as I want. I can always shoot evil green fire out of my hands. But also, I have a really limited amount of tricks which I can do. Yep. Um, I can summon a load of bats. I can turn into shadows. I can, um, I think you played a skeleton, a skeleton necromancer. So like you, sum- you summon skeletons for a while. Yeah. Um, and you and you can just do that thing really well. It, it makes her a stronger character. It makes her an easier character to read and to plot for. For sure, it means yeah. it means they can always do the fucking thing, which they do. Which is crucial because otherwise they can't do the thing, and then they can have no fun. Also, it sets up. I'm just going to come in real close to the microphone. Get cozy. Yeah, hey, how you doing? Yeah, it's nice here. You smell good. Thanks. Um, warlocks have an interesting power source, which is they've they've depending on what you're subscribing to, they've made a deal with some giant eldritch entity which is plugged in through their brain to give them powers. How do wizards get their power, Chris? Books. Like, so that, like they just memorise the thing and say it? Yep. So they're reality hacking? Yep. Super cool. At no point does anyone say reality hacking in the D&D PHB. Nope. Textbooks. Just, yeah. Or like, or like um, sorcerers. You get the same spells. Why? Oh, I'm, I'm a poet. How do you do that? Well, you know. Dragon blood. I just think about it a bit. And it's so vague, because I have to keep it vague, because D&D is the vaguest possible fantasy setting, so everyone can play any game in it, and that's fine, I dig what they're doing, that's cool. But Warlocks take that and they establish what's... They establish something cool about the setting, and that one, these giant monsters exist, and two, they can jam themselves into human brains in exchange for power. And so I really like that. I think that like the, the the other the other thing which happened towards the end of three point five is they had the uh, tome of Weeaboo Fightan Magic. <laughs> what was it? Book of I want to say seven swords, nine swords, nine Book swords, Book of nine, Book of nine, Book of nine swords. swords, which had nine um, martial casters in it. So you you had a sword of some kind, and then you could do spells through that sword, and you got basically a set number of points you could spend per encounter, and it was them basically working out per encounter powers. But with those, like you could make you could make a character who could always do the thing. Yep, and always do it fairly well. Yeah, and I think I think that's fun. I think like um, I, I I think that there should be a cost for magic. I think otherwise, at that point, it becomes another kind of gun. Yeah. Um. So like, one of the things which bothered me about Harry Potter is they can just cast spells all day, and, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I always find that very interesting because in Harry Potter, they don't do anything great with their spells no and like that's kind of the fun part of the book is that the 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 spells are there but really what's what's powering the story is the is the interpersonal relationship between the characters yeah i know i just find it interesting because like the way that you'd learn Mm. in that setting would be through doing magic all of the time Mm. so i can i can just see the another version of that where somebody's like are you carrying those books by hand (laughs) <laughs> you know that's against the rules yeah exactly like it's, it's like saying being in a French class and saying I want to go to the bathroom and them going in French oh Jesus why is it you know yeah yeah no I, I, I get that and I think that I, I really like for example unknown armies where casters are limited but as much as you can like you, you there's no limit on the, on the amount of charges you can carry so as long as you can get hold of those charges by doing weirdo shit you can cast spells all day yeah uh, the exchange of power is what interests me, rather than I can hold three spells in my mind, then I have to go and lie down. I have to, I have to have a nap and then read my book. Which is, which is, and it's kind of it's a fascinating thing because that core idea. If I can just go back to the reality hacking idea, we've uncovered a set of movements 
and speeches and sacrifices of, of material components which hack reality in a, in a bizarre but pre-programmed way. They're so powerful, you can only hold three of them in your mind at once. And once you've said it, once you enact that, it's gone. That's such a cool idea, but it sucks in play. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I do feel a certain kinship with a character who, after doing something exciting, has to go and have a nap and read a little book. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, there's, there's, there's something nice about that to me. Like, oh, that was know, a big yeah. day. Oh, my. Oh, rather, rather overstretched my limits there. Yeah. I have pushed that too far. Has anybody got a crossbow? Has anyone got a fag? <laughs> just gonna, just, 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 just gonna, and like, and like, like cantripping a fag alight and then sitting, and sitting behind the fighter as he, as yeah. he fights. You knock yourself out. I will be here yeah. judging. Yeah. I think that, crucially, one thing we said is that magic should be weird. And once you understand precisely everything that's going on with it, it gets boring. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's about it, really. About it, yeah. About it, yeah. Make yeah. magic weird. Thank keep you for listening. Weird. Yeah, keep magic weird. Thank you for listening, dear reader, dear listener. We, uh, we've, had a, we've had a lovely time. I think we've actually answered more role-playing questions this episode than any other episode. I think we have. We've just done it. Um, and again, we I'm have proud written. Of a, us. We've written a great game. Do not steal. TM. 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 Um, I've I've come up with an idea for the way to end podcasts. Oh, go for it! I don't say that I love the audience anymore. That is that is potent. Because <laughs> I I did it I did it in real life, and it was one of the more awkward things I've ever done. Yeah. Um, I was just trying not to look at anyone in the audience and trying to imagine they were laughing. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, I don't love you. But thank you so much for listening, and uh, shall I do the plugs? Yeah, just just before you do, though... Yeah, sure. Thank you to all our patrons who are... I'm currently talking through a pop filter. Oh, yeah, this is the first pop screen episode. Pop. That's pop. Pop goes the weasel. (laughs) Weasel. Weasel. I, I, I just I just blew out directly into the pop screen. We will have caught some of that, I imagine. But essentially, those lovely people bought... Us pop screens so yeah. that we don't destroy their ears. Yeah. Um, basically, view it as a sort of insurance. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, th- I think like, the next stretch goal we've got is um, sound baffling hardware of some kind. So yeah. like, to get um, egg boxes and sound absorbers, which I'm really looking forward to because I have a big echoey, well, big. I have a small echoey wooden room with no carpet in here. Yeah. And I've got to try and find a place to put them. Yeah, for sure. Well, I figure you just attach them to your head and neck. Yeah. You fucking bait him off. Wow. You're a big lad. <laughs> You're tall, is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So thank you. If you if you uh, want to hear less echoes, then why not go to patreon.com forward slash hearty dice friends. Sorry, fewer echoes, less echoing. Yes. Um, and give us some money per show. Um, if you come along, the main benefit as ever is the Discord. We've got a lovely community on there. We got to meet all of them uh, when we... Well, not all of them. Like, most of them. When we went to Nine Worlds and we had we had some really lovely sessions with them. So some really lovely uh, time spent in the, in the board games room. I didn't really leave the board games room the entire time I was in the uh, convention. Aside from doing the shows I was in. Yeah. Which was, they were also... Good times. It was lovely. Um, so thank you to existing patrons. If you're interested in supporting us, you like what you like what we do, uh, you can come on the Discord. We can also ask us questions directly there, uh, which is a much easier way of doing it. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at HDF Podcast and ask us questions through that. And finally, you can rate and review us on iTunes, which 
I still believe is somehow useful. <laughs> it must be, right? It must be, right? I think what I'd, what I'd most likely to do um, is, if you like us, tell a friend. Um, post about it somewhere publicly. Be nice about us, because it's always really nice to read the things, and that's how people spread the... Uh, oh, sorry, someone just put a question through on the Hearty Dose Friends Discord, and I want to answer it now. Go on, then. What is the point of role-playing in tabletop? It doesn't seem to serve much of a mechanical purpose. <laughs> They're, they're linking directly to grognards.txt. Oh, I see. Which is uh, collections from uh, from old school role players uh, quoted directly. Um, I mean, they're right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't get you, get you any XP, does it? No, that is XP waste. Yeah, that's a waste of everyone's time. Shocking. I I I think that actually um, we should we should change this into an R O L L playing podcast. Ah, a role-playing podcast, so we so we can properly optimize our characters. Yep, and run up fucking arrows or whatever. No, that's enough. Thank you, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I've been Grant Hammett. I've been Chris Taylor, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.